regulations protect patient safety, um, that's incredibly important. But we, we absolutely cannot allow the regulatory landscape in healthcare to stifle innovation. You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. All right. So today we're going to talk about national security. That is probably a bit of a surprise for some of you who have tuned in to hear about healthcare innovation, because that's what this podcast is supposed to be about. But the truth of the matter is, is that healthcare innovation is actually a matter of national security. So why is that? Well, national security is really the safe safekeeping of our nation as a whole. And this includes protecting the health of our people. So when we aren't actively facilitating healthcare innovation, our national security is at risk. We saw a prime example of this during COVID-19 where we had to scramble like crazy to figure out how to connect people with their doctors when they couldn't see them in person. It was insane. We saw people who, uh, we saw large health systems who were unable to quickly pivot and facilitate telehealth visits. We saw small um, medical practices who had absolutely no idea what to do. I experienced this personally um, when my father had a medical appointment that we had literally been waiting months to have. We were supposed to have it, um, I think it was like around April 9th in 2020. And this was with a a large um, medical system, a health system. And I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, I know things are crazy. I'm really glad that we know now we are allowed to do telehealth and I'm really looking forward to doing this visit via telehealth um, and, 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 you know, being on there with my dad and connecting with you that way. Because I wanted to make sure we were still, you know, set to go. And they went, we're going to have to postpone. We, we're really not prepared to do telehealth and, and we're still trying to figure it out. And so we're really backed up and we're gonna have to just reschedule. So it wasn't until two months later in June that we were able to have that appointment. That's not acceptable and it's not good for our national security. Yeah, so I remember when that happened, Carrie, and uh, at the same time we had several clients that uh, were unprepared despite us uh, talking to them for years about how to integrate these kinds of tools into their practices. Uh, and those who were able to pivot quickly survived and those that couldn't, uh, didn't had a really tough time. And I, I know that we have one client that was very willing to be innovative. They were uh, an outsourced uh, emergency services physician group that worked with a very large uh, health system in our area. They were ready and the hospital couldn't they couldn't accommodate it. Their, their IT department couldn't accommodate the change. Their legal department were t- was taking too long to sort of say yay or nay on it. And um, I imagine that a lot of other Americans have the same, same kind of story. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when we're reading the news today, the general news, as well as sort of the healthcare trade press, people are talking about telehealth as innovation. And that just seems absurd to me. We have had telehealth, uh, you know, and the ability to be reimbursed for telehealth uh, through Medicare since 1997. That was when um, the the legislation passed 
that uh, that allowed uh, Medicare to you know reimburse for telehealth services in certain limited circumstances. That was only when uh, you know provided at an originating site like a clinic for people in rural areas. At that time, the technology was new; uh, it was somewhat limited, um, and you know the whole the whole focus of telehealth at that time was providing people who were living in rural areas access to expert medical care that was in the big cities so they didn't have to, to travel a long ways, right? Very understandable. Today, in 2021, the technology has improved immensely, right? We don't have to have special video cameras that are set up in a clinic to, you know, to video the patient and, and to video the provider on the other end. Everyone has a webcam on their phone or on their computer. So telehealth and technology advanced, but the laws and regulations around it remain the same. And this meant that uh, medical practices and large health systems simply were not adopting telehealth technology. Much of this goes back to, you know, when we say policy, what we're really talking about is reimbursement policy. There are certainly regulations making sure that the services are delivered um, um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a high quality way, that the people delivering the services are appropriately licensed. But really what unleashed all the change that we've seen over the last year was, uh, you know, CMS relenting um, and allowing for reimbursement for a broader swath of, of patients. So that, that in particular was patients who, you know, it, they stopped the limitation on patients who were uh, in rural areas. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Um, let me start again. Let me start again. Uh, okay. And really, when we're talking about uh, uh, policy and the, and the limitations of policy, what we're talking about is reimbursement policy. There are other laws that apply to the delivery of services via telemedicine that have to do with the quality of care, the licensure of the doctors, uh, you know, making sure that it's safe and that patients aren't hurt in the process. But really, what we saw during 2020 uh, was an explosion in the use of telemedicine and other remote and virtual care uh, services only because the ability to bill for them had changed. Uh, providers were no longer restricted to billing for services, telemedicine services for only rural patients, uh, for instance, under Medicare, uh, which sets a lot of the policies that the commercial insurers follow uh, behind. It is uh, shocking to me that it took till May of 2020 for the first sort of 50 state telehealth provider to start billing to Medicare. They, they just couldn't do it before that. And that meant that 33 million Medicare beneficiaries who couldn't pay cash for services uh, were only able to access them, you know, setting aside those that lived in rural areas who could make it to an office in that rural area. They couldn't get it from home at that time. That it took till May 2020 to, to open up that market. And what we've seen since then is that the care was good, the people like it, and they're asking for, they're asking for more. Yeah, that's right. And I think you're referring to Doctor on Demand. That's right. They they were able, that's a company that had a national presence. As soon as Medicare said, hey, we're going to allow reimbursement for this, they pivoted to get enrolled in Medicare. Um, but it's still a process, right? Um, and it took longer than it should. And in the meantime, as you very rightly point out, there were many, many, many Americans that were left without 
access to good care. Um, so, you know, you and I know very well that healthcare is the most highly regulated industry uh, in the nation. And that's for a lot of good reasons, right? Regulations protect patient safety. Um, that's incredibly important, but we, we absolutely cannot allow the regulatory landscape in healthcare to stifle innovation in that place, in, in, that, in that space. Instead, we really need to be encouraging legislation and regulation that actually actively, proactively facilitates innovation. Uh, we know that the COVID pandemic, you know, really shone a spotlight on healthcare as a matter of national security. And thankfully, I think we are seeing some progress now, right? One example um, is the FDA's new Digital Health Center of Excellence that was announced, um, I believe, uh, back in late 2020. And the goal of the Digital Health Center of Excellence is really to you know, facilitate partnerships, to accelerate digital health advancements, to share best practices, and importantly, to provide oversight, but in theory, at least, in a less burdensome way than has previously been done. Importantly, um, for those of us who you know, work with clients very frequently who are formulating their business models, FDA is not coordinating with CMS, right? The other agency that is involved that frankly provides the reimbursement for these innovative devices, services, et cetera. And as you mentioned before, if something's not paid for in the healthcare industry, it's not done. So we have seen implications for lack of coordination between FDA and CMS in the past. Um, I would like to see some very explicit coordination with CMS and with FDA in recognition that those two agencies really have to be working hand in hand in order to avoid giving sort of conflicting or um, contrary or non-coordinated guidance and advice to the people who are out there innovating. Yeah. Becky, you've probably seen some other examples that of, of things that have worked and things that, that haven't. So um, as some of you may know, my experience goes back to the uh, implementation of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, there were many instances there of uh, the left hand not working with the right hand. Um, I have a number of stories uh, uh, that I could go into, but we don't have enough time for that today. I absolutely think that coordination between federal agencies is vital. It is also very, very difficult to do. Uh, and this administration uh, is in the process of transitioning. As they do that, uh, stakeholders in the industry and folks like me and Carrie are going to absolutely be there to support them and to help them in that coordination effort. Um, if you'd like to ask us more about how we're doing that, please contact us. We're happy to share and we'd love to bring a larger coalition to the issue. What I also want to talk about is in addition to the reimbursement changes that we need to see, um, call your congressperson to ask them to support the Connect for Health Act. That's absolutely a place to start. Um, in addition to that, what we're seeing from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, which was largely dormant uh, during the last administration, is very strong words about the uh, revivifying of the payment models that were in place 
uh, including bundled payment initiatives, accountable care organizations, um, uh, behavioral health integration. There are a number of models out there. What we've what we've experienced is that when those models work, and by that I mean when they're paying dividends and they're, they're large uh, sort of financial benefits to the folks participating in them, they continue. When there aren't large financial benefits, those folks are dropping out of those models. And the problem is models were created to increase quality and to reduce costs in the industry uh, across the board. And so um, when individual players can choose to opt out when for instance, it doesn't work out for them for one reason or another, it really impacts the ability for our federal agencies to, on a national level, move the needle. And so the head of CMMI, Liz Fowler, has said that we should keep an eye out for some of those models becoming mandatory so that there's no option to opt out of them and that value-based payment and value-based principles are going to be a mandatory uh, mandatory requirement for all organizations uh, that want to participate in the Medicare program. I, I think that's pretty huge. I agree. And I think it's necessary. I mean, we have tried sort of the sole carrot approach for, for a while now. Um, we thought we thought that it might be enough to really move the needle and make the change happen. We thought we've seen some progress, but I think what we know now is that we need sort of a carrot and a stick approach. Um, the, the last thing I'll say about sort of um, ongoing efforts um, around innovation, um, you know, in the space is we are seeing some innovation contests being put out by the government, right, by OMC, these innovation challenges. And I think that's terrific. We need more of those. We need, um, we need to sort of broaden the ability for, for people to know of them and to participate in them. Uh, I think there's some good stuff to come out of that. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, but, you know, as we, as we wrap up, I'm going to circle back to telehealth and not because, you know, it is, uh, it is sort of the only healthcare innovation, far, far from it. Um, but it's a really good example of, of um, you know, a course of action we don't want to repeat, right? We don't want to, um, you know, sort of get to reimbursement for virtual care services only to have them so limited that no one actually, again, starts using them. So, um, so I'm going to circle back to healthcare. And, you know, we've got, we're seeing a lot of legislation out there, but a lot of that legislation does not include payment parity. And that means that, you know, there's no requirement that telehealth be reimbursed at the same amount as the equivalent in-office visit. And frankly, that is less of an incentive for providers to encourage telehealth. Um, you know, and that without a doubt increases, um, with, you know, uh, we know that telehealth increases the access to care um, and reduces overall cost to the system as a result. So. There are some really um, easy and smart things that I think um, the government can be doing, um, looking to telehealth sort of as an example. Um, so anyway, as we, as we conclude, I just wanna urge everyone to think about and to talk about healthcare innovation as a matter of national security. As Rebecca said, talk to your legislators, talk to your policymakers, help like frame this as an issue of national security, the safekeeping of our nation uh, that, you know, with respect to their healthcare needs and their overall health. Um, I think it's a message that we, we don't hear enough, they don't hear enough. And I think it's a message that really should resonate.
So thanks for the time today for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon. Bye everyone.